Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Casella Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travels. Welcome to another episode of Travels with Charlie. I'm your host, Charlie Papillo, and I'll, let me tell you, this hour is a full-packed hour. Got a lot of guests, a lot of, we're going to have a lot of fun, uh, this afternoon as well. Quickly, uh, thanks to my sponsors. I would not be doing this without uh, the help of my sponsors and their support. Jolly Convenience Stores, Creamies right now, you know, these warm temperatures, you gotta have a creamy, right? Or a hot coffee or a sandwich or a snack. Ice cold Coca-Cola products. Fill up your belly and fill up your car. Casella Waste Systems with zero sort recycling, reliable service, competitive pricing, and, uh, well, if you're doing any of those cleanups, you know, dumpster rental. Think about that for those big cleanouts. And Milne Travel American Express, they've been doing that since 1975, taking a trip. Get in touch with them, milmtravel.com. Well, uh, quick uh, uh, note here, programming note here at WDEV. As you know, wdevradio.com, you can hear the podcast of our uh, shows that we do here uh, every other Monday on WDEV. You can also see the Travels with Charlie videos that I started doing a couple of years ago, and currently those are on the website as well. So uh, check that out. Uh, and today's show, well, we're getting the band back together. That's right. It sounds like, a, a, remember the Blues Brothers with getting the band back together? We're doing that today on the program. Andre McCara, Jesse Agan, both from the band Shake, as well as many other bands. You know Vermont's own John Galemore. And, of course, uh, Danny Cohn from the Starline Rhythm, Rhythm Boys. Entertaining uh, or lack of entertaining during the pandemic. That's what we're going to be talking about. We also have Jeff Weld with the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight joining us. But my first guest today, joining me in studio from the Department of Health, Injury Prevention Manager, also an EMT with Colchester Rescue, is Stephanie Bush. Stephanie, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. And Kelly Doherty is also uh, our guest. She is in studio, Deputy Health Commissioner for Alcohol and Drug Abuse Program. So thank you both for being here today. Now, one of the things that I'd like to talk about is there's there's been an uptick in, in drug overdoses. Find out why that's the case, what's being done. Of course, we're going to get the perspective from a first responder. And, uh, of course, maybe or maybe not, you know, maybe asking too much, what can we expect from the uh, opioid drug settlement money? So first, Stephanie, let me go to you. You've worked seven years as an EMT. And if I ever say, if I get anything wrong, just, you know, we're close enough. You can punch me. You can just yell at me. Don't worry about it. Seven years as an EMT. Is that yes. correct? So I'm also actually an advanced EMT, which is a, a slightly higher than an, slightly higher than an EMT. Okay. But so it's all right. She's, she pointed that out. Okay. So I'll make a note of that. Uh, well, I'd like to know, what's it like to respond to an overdose, uh, to administer Narcan, uh, and sometimes multiple times for the same person. We hear that, you know, maybe it's anecdotal. I don't know. 
Uh, is that does that take a toll on your mental health as well? Yeah. So first, I want to say I really appreciate you inviting us to come and speak about this really important topic. And so I can say, as a first responder, so giving a little context, I'm a volunteer. Advanced EMT, so I've, um, as with Vermont, about 70% of our workforce is volunteer to some extent. So it's people that go and work their day jobs and then go and respond to 911 calls in the evening or on the weekend and whatnot. Um, and what I can say is that as EMS providers, we are trained healthcare providers to, to respond to any kind of emergency and specifically with opiate overdoses. It's, um, you know, we serve our community. We're here to help people in whatever emergency that's available. It, and we've seen increased overdoses over the last several years, and specifically this year. Um, but it is a privilege to be able to help people. Um, and as I like to kind of say, we're responding to people in, in emergency and helping to keep them alive. And um, with overdoses it can be incredibly taxing and really kind of emotionally draining where we see people that we're having to go to over and over again that have challenges in their life that aren't able to access the services or aren't ready necessarily for treatment or recovery. Um, But we can still keep those people alive and help train the community to make sure that they can be a part of that. Kelly, an uptick in cases and my understanding typically month of July in Vermont, we usually see that. Why is that? So we do typically see a spike in the summertime. We don't yet have full data for this year in July. Our data really is not final um, for July because it takes a little while to process sure. those death certificates. But I can say that um, 2020 was the worst year that we've ever seen with opioid overdoses. And um, Do you think COVID played into that at absolutely. all? Absolutely. It did. Yes. So this was actually a nationwide trend, and you may have heard recently, I think it was a week or two ago, that CDC uh, said that it was the, they'd seen the highest number of overdoses in 2020 yeah. across the country than they've ever seen. Do you think some of that's because, uh, you know, people are locked in their, basically, you're locked in your home. If you do want to seek assistance, I mean, many people know, as you're listening today, if you had a doctor's appointment, if it wasn't urgent, you probably didn't, weren't able to go. And even if it was urgent, in some instances, it was like, well, we're going to do it via phone call or Zoom. And sometimes you just, they probably, people don't connect when they need help. Yeah, I think there were a combination of factors at play with COVID. So like you said, people were isolated. So um, not only did that maybe cause distress and cause people to use substances more. But also using alone, particularly with opioids, can be incredibly dangerous yeah. because if you are isolated and alone and you do overdose, there's no one there to help you. Right. So that certainly played a factor. We also think that uh, early on in the pandemic, some of the supply chain, if you will, for people's substances may have been disrupted. And so they may have been getting drugs from unfamiliar sources and so um, maybe didn't exactly know what they were getting. So there were a number of things that contributed to it for 2020. We are optimistic that we're now seeing it return sort of to pre-pandemic levels, but it's still too high. You know, we're still seeing people die um, every day from opioid overdoses. Uh, one thing I'd like to address when you were mentioning around the treatment, treatment options were still fully available during COVID. They were. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there were um, 
uh, particularly in uh, the hubs, if people are familiar with the hub and spoke system for opioid treatment, um, they continued to provide methadone treatment for folks, and often they were able to be a little bit more flexible with respect to um, having people take their methadone home rather than having it administered on site because couldn't have hundreds of people showing up sure. at a at a site. So they got creative and also in our in hospital statewide, uh if people present because of an overdose or if they present for another reason and reveal that they uh have an opioid use disorder, they are able to connect them to uh medication assisted treatment uh there at the emergency room and then connect them to community providers. Sure. So that's been um, expanded through COVID. Questions or comments from my guests? We're talking with uh, members of the v- Vermont Department of Health, Stephanie Bush and uh, uh, Kelly Dorotry are my guests this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, 244-1777 or toll free at 1-877-291-8255. Feel free to call. Um, uh, if you could, Stephanie, please um, just fill us in a little bit more. I know, you know, we were talking earlier about Narcan, which is the antidote uh, overdosing. And if you could explain, not getting too deep into the weeds, but what happens when you have a drug overdose uh, and kind of clear something up, you know, that misnomer that if somebody thinks, well, I'll have some Narcan with me, I'm by myself, but I have Narcan in case I need to administer it, that can't happen, Correct. Correct, yeah. So in thinking about an opiate overdose, kind of very simply put, it's a depressant. So it kind of draws the system down, your breathing, your brain, so much to where really your brain forgets that it needs to breathe. And so when I um, work with either community members, EMS providers, law enforcement, when I'm doing trainings, I always talk about it as it's an oxygen emergency. So somebody has taken so much of a drug where the brain forgets that it needs to breathe and that person stops breathing. So what Narcan does, it's an amazing life-saving medication. The generic version is called naloxone, which some people... um, have heard of. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it temporarily kicks off the opioids in the brain receptors. And so it can remind the brain, it it basically temporarily protects the body from that depressive feature. And so what happens is that it can actually help someone kind of remember to breathe or wake up is what some people um, have seen. But it's only temporary. So depending on a number of factors. It's probably like 40 minutes to 90 minutes. And so that's one of the things why we really encourage people that if they do experience an opiate overdose. And so um, it's an oxygen emergency. So if, I, if I'm unconscious and not breathing, I can't give myself Narcan. Correct. Now, um, now is it also true that the, the drugs today are so powerful that one shot of Narcan may not revive somebody? It may take more than one. Is that right? So there's a number of factors that I can get into a long conversation with. (laughs) Um, But so with the increase of fentanyl and carfentanil and kind of someone who might be thinking they're taking heroin and it actually has synthetic opioids, it's a lot stronger than what they think, which um, Kelly spoke to a little bit about with alternative um, or altered drug supply chains. And so someone who might think that they're getting a certain strength 
of opioid um, is actually getting a lot stronger. And so that's kind of what some of that is. And then also, as we all know with medication, when I take ibuprofen because my leg hurts, it's not instantaneous. Right. And so any kind of medication, it's going to take a little bit of wh- a little while. And specifically with Narcan, it can take three to five minutes, which if you are with someone that you love or a friend or a family member and they're blue and they're not breathing – that's a terrifying three to five minutes, which is why we encourage people to do rescue breathing, chest compressions, calling 911. So if there's another reason why someone might not be breathing or is unconscious, that they're going to get the help, the professional help um, that they need. Kelly, can we get into uh, Good Samaritan laws? Because this is another area where, for instance, if you're with somebody that has overdosed and you're wide awake and you're sitting in that room and you go, gee, if I call for help, I'm going to get in trouble. Could you sure. clarify on that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Charlie, because um, we do know that that is a barrier for some folks calling uh, for help. We heard this in some uh, qualitative sort of interviews that we that uh, that we had done um, with folks in Vermont, and we realized that people, many people, are not aware of the Good Samaritan Law, which basically says if you call 911 or you know first responders uh, in the event of an overdose, you will not be um, under any kind of criminal penalty for being there or for, you know, being in the presence of those drugs or even, you know, having uh, those drugs in your house. So uh, we really want people to know that because we want people to call 911 if they are with someone who's experiencing an overdose and not have to worry about them getting into trouble themselves. Kelly Doherty is my guest this afternoon along with Stephanie Bush. We will continue our conversation. We're talking about the drug overdoses in Vermont. There's certainly an uptick this time of year and uh, also dealing with it during a pandemic. We will continue our conversation and take your calls right after this break right here on Travels with Charlie. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England. Featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millnetravel.com. Too easy. (laughs) (laughs) Too easy. I already warned Kelly and Stephanie that they might have to help me out playing Stump the Band with my director, Steve Cormier, Corm, uh, in the other studio. Derek and the Dominoes, Layla... Even Stephanie, who is not even in my demographic, knew that. Did you? You didn't! She didn't know it! Okay. All right. Well, welcome back to Travels with Charlie. Great to have you here today. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, we talk about serious issues, but we also like to have a little bit of fun here on Travels with Charlie. We've been talking today about the opioid uh, problem in, not only in the, in our state, but also in the country. And speaking with with Stephanie, who is an advanced EMT, I just found that out a little while ago that she was advanced. I would like to kind of delve into that a little bit more with you, Steph, because Vermont's first responders were able to get vaccines early, which was certainly helpful. But you still had a period of time without vaccine. 
going on calls to people who were also not vaccinated. Did that scare you at all? Yeah, I want to um, thank you for taking the time to talk about both first responder mental health and also kind of what it was like to respond in, the, in, in this pandemic. And, and what I can say is this is definitely a career defining moment for not only myself, but also for all, all EMS. Um, I think we really stepped up and, and showed not only what it's like to respond to 911 and, and be prepared to respond to any kind of emergencies, but then also, um, managing going through this pandemic and, and Vermont was very amazing that we were able to participate in vaccinations and whatnot. But I will say that especially early on, it, it was really scary. There were our policies and protocols were changing literally every day because we're trying to figure out what's going on. We're right. trying to figure out how do we tell if someone is at risk and is not at risk. I've, I was very fortunate and I was never exposed um, to COVID, but I know several of my colleagues were exposed and had to go in quarantine. Um, you know, they have loved ones, they have kids, they have older adults that are all at increased risk. And so, um, and also the public was afraid. I remember very distinctly one of our first like, first calls in the beginning was someone who had, had fallen and, and had a head injury. Completely fine medically, but we had to take care of them. And, and we show up in gowns and goggles and face masks and N95s, and it's hot because it's the summer. And and they you look like you're ready to land on the moon, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it was terrifying for them. And they're like, I don't have covid. It's fine. It's fine. And we're like, no, we're doing this for everyone. Yeah. And like the neighbors are like watching them and everyone thinks that everyone has covid and people were and you were, we were speaking a little bit earlier to like going to the emergency department or not being able to seek medical care. Like people were afraid to go to the emergency department. Because they didn't want to go to the hospital because they thought they were going to die because they were going to get COVID. Even though people were having heart attacks, they they were like, I want to die at home. I would rather die from a heart attack than die from COVID. Um, And it's really taxing as, you know, we're helpers. We want to, we're here to help people. um, And we provide to the level of comfort that we could, but it's incredibly taxing. Are are people still trying, you know, volunteering or do you find that uh, people don't want to volunteer and you're looking for help? Oh, it's such a large conversation. Um, So uh, if anyone is ever interested in becoming an EMS provider or a firefighter, you should reach out to your local service. Most services are either combination career and volunteer based, and we're always looking for people that want to serve their community. Um, during COVID, we had a number of members that could not go on calls because of like having underlying medical conditions or, or, um, whatever reason that they weren't able to. And, and so we're always looking for more people and it's really meaningful work. Um, and it's, you obviously get a lot out of it. I mean, it's a volunteer a position that you have. Yeah. Uh, you're working for the state and you're also, you're going to school as well, correct? Yeah. So yeah. I, I jokingly say I'll have free time in about three years. <laughs> um, yeah. So I run every Thursday night with my local ambulance service. So I'll go to, go to, um, where I currently work at my day job, the Department of Health, yeah. um, working on suicide prevention, opiate overdose, and, and COVID now. And then I go and I get on shift at 6 p.m., run all night long, and then go to work the next day. Well, thank you for, for doing what you do. Uh, Kelly, let me ask you, because there really is no community that is immune from opioid addiction. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'd like you to explain a little bit further because I think some people think, well, you know, I live in the boondocks. I, I live rural. I don't live in a large city, so it doesn't affect me. 
true? No, False? that is it is everywhere in Vermont. So you know we see overdoses, we see um, drug trafficking in every county in Vermont. Uh, we work often with HIDA, which is the High Intensity Drug Trafficking unit and they will give us reports of what they're seeing, what kinds of drugs they're seeing, where they're seeing them, and, and they are everywhere. Let's talk about um, the the drug settlement money, which still, it, it isn't settled, so certainly it, it's all very early, but saw some number, right? you know, it's in the billions. It, yeah, and it's $60 million for Vermont. And when you think of that, you think, wow, that's a lot of money, but what the opioid um, problem has caused over the years is, you know, what, what the, the drug companies are giving us, it's not, it doesn't even touch it. It doesn't even scratch the surface. Where do you see that money going when we do get it here? How will it help programs that you administer in Vermont? That's a great question. So there's still a lot of uncertainty since it was just announced last week. So there'll need to be some work, you know, on the part of the attorney general and the legislature to, you know, figure out how to allocate those funds. But the intent of them are to support treatment services. So we are very lucky in Vermont that anyone who wants opioid treatment can get it. In Vermont, that is not the case in other states where there may be long wait lists or their Medicaid programs don't cover it. So we're in a good place, but we could certainly always do more. And so I think that ideally what we will do is, um, is a lot more prevention work. You know, Stephanie talked about naloxone. We did already, as we were seeing the numbers go up, uh, during COVID, beefed up our naloxone distribution program so that we're really trying to get it out into the community. So, you know, ideally we would be able to beef that up even more so that uh, people have access to it. And uh, But we'll just have to wait and see mm-hmm. when that money's coming and, uh, and how we're able to use it. But what, we're looking forward to that. And, and what about recovery programs? And I'll just uh, give a quick plug here. Mm-hmm. Travels with Charlie. We did a couple of uh, videos in our video series, Travels with Charlie, which you can see on the, our website here, wdevradio.com. And also recently, guest on the radio program, from Teen Challenge, mm-hmm. Challenge Vermont and from Jenna's house, Jenna's place in Johnson, mm-hmm. both uh, unique recovery uh, uh, places. And it, will any of that money be able to go into recoveries? We hope so. But again, we don't know what the parameters will be for the, that funding. But we do support recovery services across the state. Uh, you mentioned Jenna's Promise. We've worked with them up in Johnson. There's also 12 recovery centers around the state that we support with funding and work with extensively. During COVID, it was very challenging because they were not able to hold their in-person services that people are used to. So they tried, you know, they, they did remote services and did uh, outreach to people that they knew in their community who they thought might be at risk to try to keep people connected. Um, and so we're glad to see that their in-person services have returned. Uh, but certainly we are working closely with the recovery community and will seek every opportunity to support them because they do really important work. 
I want to thank you both for being my guests uh, this afternoon. Certainly, we could talk a lot more here. Stephanie, uh, you have... I, I have one thing I'd yes, like to say. Sure. Um, in right, It was very coincidental, but in March of 2020, right at the beginning of COVID, we launched Vermont HelpLink, which you can find at vthelplink.org, uh, which is a website and a call center that will connect people either just with information about substance use, connect them to treatment services, recovery services, uh it's open to anyone, not just a person who's struggling themselves, but family members or friends can call and find out how to get support services. So, again, that's vthelplink.org. All right. And they can also call uh, 802-565-LINK for more information. We'll wrap things up here in just a moment. But, uh, Stephanie? Uh- Sorry, I just wanted to add one more thing. Like. While the opioid crisis impacts every single community, as we already talked about, every single person and organization has a role in this opioid crisis. So the nice thing about the resources that we just mentioned and also with Narcan, you can uh, Google Vermont and Narcan and find all the distribution centers. But really what some of the the harm reduction services that we've been doing is really focusing on families and friends of people who might be in a position to help, of getting yeah. trained on how to recognize an overdose and how to respond. That really is key, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. you can, you know, as we said. They see it firsthand. They yeah, know absolutely. when somebody needs help. Yeah. And and with the VT Help Link, I know that they're doing some counseling and kind of looking at not just substance supports, but really trying to help people. And we understand that it, it impacts every community and all families. That's the nice thing about Vermont is that we're all one big community. That's right. But also very challenging. Nice to meet you both. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, uh, Charlie. Again, vthelplink.org for more information. Stephanie Bush and Kelly Doherty, both with the Vermont Department of Health. Up next, Jeff Weld with the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. Then we're going to meet the band right here on Travels with Charlie. When I'm on my travels throughout Vermont, I know where to stop for a fill-up, fresh-made sandwiches, snacks, hot coffee, or an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Jolly convenience stores. With over 40 in our area, there's always one nearby. And they're more than a quick stop. Proudly supporting local charities, community events, and our military. Jolly convenience stores. Home of the Daily Smile. Even behind that mask. Stop by today. You'll be glad you did. This one. Is it Tower of Power? No. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. There you go. All right. Welcome back to Travels with Charlie. <laughs> My director, Steve Cormier. Corm, always trying to stump me with the music. And it's time for the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. Jeff Weld, Director of Community Engagement, joining me on the phone line this afternoon. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, Charlie. How are you? Jeff, I'm doing well. At some point, I'm going to have to reach out to you. To, you can be my lifeline. You know, if I, if I don't know the tune, and you knew that one, right, Jeff? I did. I had it, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, today we're going to talk about, on the Sustainability Spotlight, the education series that you have on your website called Beyond the Bin. Would you please tell me what is it and why was it developed by Casella Waste? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think... Um First of all, Beyond the Bin started as sort of our foray into the world of podcasting. Uh, we developed this little podcast to talk about the, the inner workings of our company, and it just it really showed great promise. People really sort of gravitated towards it. And from there, uh, we've developed a series of online webinars 
uh, virtual and in-person events. And, you know, we're even uh, working on a mobile education unit that you'll see out at community events like farmers markets and things like that in the near future. And, you know, really the, the whole reason behind it was, you know, we'd get questions about, is this recyclable? Is that not, you know, what is, what's going on in that world? And most people see our industry and our company from a perspective that ends when the bin goes to the curb. And, and we really wanted to develop something that could take them, you know, beyond the bin and, and get them to think differently about yeah. what it means to be sustainable. Can, can you give us a little bit of insight into this mobile education unit? I, I might have had a sneak peek at that uh, a while back. Uh, can you tell us anything, or is it all still under uh, wraps? Well, you know, we're, we're sort of peeling back the, the curtain as we go. We've, we've got it in development. It's going to be... You know, kids will have an opportunity to sit in the cab of a, of a virtual truck or, you know, and pull the levers and see what goes on. We'll have videos for mom and dads and, and others to sort of understand. And then at the kid level games and things like that. So really it's a way to engage around, yeah. you well, know, what happens after the recycling goes to the recycling center. Right. Very inter- interactive. And, and, of course, I know kids are going to really enjoy getting in there and, uh, and touching all the buttons and, and doing things. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the podcast because, as most people know, you know, with podcast, you're reaching a younger demographic. And I know that you do want to reach that younger demographic because of something that we talked about in our last spotlight, and that's your CDL driving school, which currently 20 people have gone through so far, which means that they have gotten their CDL paid for by Casella, and they're now on a debt-free career path to a high-paying job. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. What we've found is, you know, and probably nobody knows this better than you, Charlie, being in the, the business that you're in, but, you know, the podcast gives us an opportunity to give quick information in a fun, engaging way, reach that younger demographic. And, and when we're talking about things like our CDL school, you know, we've had you know, just recently, our most recent graduating class came through there. On day one, one of the drivers was hired as a driver apprentice, started the school, and then within a month, he was um, fully licensed and, and ready to start training on, on the truck. So, oh, nice. you know, really, really a great program, really something that we're seeing as sort of, you know, the future of, of where our business is going as, as um, hiring becomes more competitive and, and right. businesses need them more, we can train them up and, and, and put them to work uh, yep. on a debt-free career path. And, and that, Je- Jeff, that's you're, huge. you're also looking to expand into high schools and tech schools with your program now and even into other areas like frontline leadership training and diesel tech programs, again, which would benefit Casella. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, and it benefits our communities too. Right. right. Charlie, I mean, it's not, we don't operate in a vacuum. If we can get into a high school and a tech school and show a young person a path that that wasn't there before, then then we're doing great things for our, the people in our community too. You know, get them a CDL, get her behind the wheel of a truck, and then in five years she's thinking about being a general manager. So she'll go through our frontline leadership program and take over a, a sales department, whatever right. whatever she might be interested in doing or he might be interested in doing. You know, that's what we're training up for, and we've seen great success with that. Right. One of the things we talked about uh, in an earlier uh, podcast, uh, Jeff, was uh, the number of people that are working at Casella in higher management positions that started off driving a vehicle there. Yeah, it's it's really it's really fun to watch that 
that career growth. One of my most favorite ones just recently happened. We had a, a young woman who was a, uh, she started out as a territory sales rep, grinded her way out. And now she's, she's about ready to go through and become uh, a division manager, you know, overseeing an entire operation for a hauling company. And, and that's what you love to see. Just somebody that, you know, gets a foot in the door, yep. goes through the training, learns the business, and then just keeps succeeding and, and driving value to the to the communities that we serve is what it's all about. That's awesome. Jeff Weld with Casella Waste the on the Sustainability Spotlight. Jeff is the Director of Community Engagement. If you'd like to find out more information about recycling and about the Beyond the Bin Education Series, simply go to casella.com. For more information, Jeff, always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today on Travels with Charlie. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Charlie. I always look forward to it. All right, likewise, and we'll be right back. You're going to meet the band right here on Travels with Charlie next. There's no way you're going to fool me with that. That's the boss. It's Bruce Springsteen. And just in case, Steve Cormier, our director here at Travels with Charlie, always trying to stump me with the with the bumper music. I have two legendary musicians in the studio here. There's no way that would happen with Danny Cohn, little Danny C, and John Galemore in the house. Travels with Charlie. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being here today. Our pleasure. Thank you, Charlie. So this is, you know, we're calling this segment Getting the Band Back Together because as many of you know, no matter what industry, no matter where you've been, the last 15 months, I don't think any industry has been affected more than the entertainment industry. It isn't like, you know, if you work in an office, well, you can Zoom, you can call in. But if you're used to performing in front of hundreds of people, unless you go out on your porch and expect somebody to uh, assemble, it just ain't happening. John. How how did you deal with all of this? He did. Well, virtual music. (laughs) Yeah. You know, virtual performing is, uh, there's nothing virtuous about virtual (laughs) performing, Charlie. And it just doesn't make it when you're looking at it. When you're used to singing to live people and and as Danny well knows, you know, the rapport and looking at faces and eyes and, and, and working with them and... Well, you don't know if the song's going over. I mean, it's like, you know, doing radio. It's like when you tell a joke, it's like, you know, is this thing on? Nobody, you don't get that direct reaction. Seeing little squares, you know, around (laughs) your monitor screen, that's not nearly the same. (laughs) Danny, you, along with the Starline Rhythm Boys, playing together for more than 20 years, Starline Rhythm Boys, man, your history goes way back, especially both of you here at WDEV. I mean, you know, integral part of a WDEV. TV, Radio Rangers. Uh, we're going to go down to the mezzanine a little bit later on, do a little impromptu jam session where you have played many, many times. My DNA is still down there. <laughs> <laughs> so h- how have you survived over the course of the last 15 months without any gigs? Well, I just did some woodshedding. I don't know. I just woodshedded some, you know, try to learn, get some other instruments out. Yeah. Get my electrics out and... Now, with the Starline up, Rhythm Boys... Fired you, up one of my old amps that I bought from Jack for 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. It still works. Why am I? <laughs> right. You got so, a deal. Yeah, I did get a deal. <laughs> can, can you explain, because uh, especially for you, Danny, I mean, you go... Man, you could. Do we have time to list all the bands that you've played in and and the types of music? Uh, you know, I know with your with your bass player with uh, Billy Bratcher, who's also a good friend. 
you know, Billy's roots. He started off in punk music and then he ends up in a, in a rockabilly band. You with the legendary and, and we're going way back here. Anybody remembers the throbulators with, with, with well, Danny Cove? Got that. bumper sticker. <laughs> you still got, yeah, it's collectible. Don't get rid of it. I have more, John, if you run out. <laughs> right. And that wasn't anywhere near to, you know, rockabilly style music. Well, no, I don't know. I started in, you know, about 63 playing in a group called the Jesters, which is a high school rock band. At the time, yeah. in City Hall, we worked a fair amount. And at that time, you know, the uh, Thunderbolts were out, the Vistas were out, you know, playing. Uh, uh, the VIPs and Barry, a couple, they're a couple of years younger than me. That's Kip Meeker and Leroy Preston as a high school rock band. Okay, so then I do that, and then I start went, you know, they started playing country and stuff. Then I had the uh, Slant Six Review, which was a which we played on here, Vermont Live on here with Jack. I love these names. And that was a country. <laughs> that was a country band. And then, uh, and then. Um, yeah, then the Throbulator. Well, then I played with Tony Washburn and, and a band with him and all kinds of stuff. And then the Throbulators, like you say, and yeah. and um, some other stuff. You guys are out playing again, Starline Rhythm Boys. You've had some recent well, gigs. Well, some stuff, yeah. private stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it feels good to get back out there. Yeah, again. but I'm playing all this other stuff too. So see nice. the other group. Nice. We're going to see you know maybe some different things with the Starline Rhythm Boys. Do some. Well, actually, the other groups I met with the VT Bluegrass Pioneers with the Linder Brothers. So I've got a bluegrass band going with them. Good group. I'm playing with Colin McCaffrey and Dave Rowles, a trio. I'm playing yeah. with the Rangers. Are still playing some stuff. So you know, I got quite a bit of work. John, you've been doing a solo act for most of your career, correct? Mostly solo. Yeah, I. You know, I was in a band once for two months in Connecticut. Uh, we were called um, the Teeth. <laughs> and our no, our slogan: "We're the teeth, and we bite." <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. And I, I just, um, I, I think I was born to be a solo. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I have too many personalities by myself. Yeah. Let alone trying to deal with a bunch of other personalities. But, but do you miss having, uh, you know, that band behind you? You know, the drum kit, the the banging, the you know, the no. bass line. You don't miss that it's at all. Months. No, I don't no. miss it at all. No. I, I can hear it in my head. Yeah. And when you're a soloist, you you make things up and you you hear stuff, um, and you don't need it. How did and you develop your style? You're from Philadelphia originally. Well, correct? that's where I failed yeah. to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, when you think of Philly, you think of you know Philly. I, I think of you know Hall and Oates. I think of you know Terry, uh, uh, you know Teddy Pendergrass. Uh, well, I think of the Spinners. The Spinners. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know Soul. And, and, and I, I won't say Blue Eyed Soul because I, you know Daryl Hall from Hall and Oates once said. It ain't blue-eyed soul. Why are you calling it that? You know, just because I have blue eyes. Right. It's like, it's soul. Oh, no, it's soul. soul is soul. Yeah. John is Mr. Vermont Music, but he he had a chance to be big. Oh, yeah, well. Right, John? Tell him about it. That was it. my thing. I um, I was, well, here's here's my story. I, I uh, It's sad but true. Uh, sorry, I can't. Help it. Now we're glad you're here, John. It's about a girl that uh, Corm once knew. What was her name? Run around, Sue. Sue. Her name was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, I actually do a medley of about 15 oldies. <laughs> Yeah, and that's I one of them. That's the first one. Yeah. Anyway, um, oh, maybe we can do that in the in the podcast in the studio of, after. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Out of high school, um, yeah, I I wasn't even thinking about doing music, and I went to I went to college in Philly, and then I went to grad school in Philly for one semester in elementary education. Because everyone thought I should be an elementary school teacher. And I went for one semester and I realized how stupid it is to think you can learn how to teach from, from taking courses. <laughs> you don't. You can't. You, you're in the classroom is where you learn. Anyway, 
I uh, went to Europe for two years and met a college guy, and we uh, performed in southern France, and we met a beautiful American girl, passed a hat, and we divided all the money three ways and made enough money to uh, stay in hotels and have all our meals. And that was a revelation, epiphany wow. for me. Yeah. Because I was having so much fun entertaining, and I realized, you, mean, you can be happy and make money from it? Nice. I never realized. Seems so, so I'm American. How did, how did this affect you? You know, 15 months, you're not able to get out there. You, we oh, talk about boy. mental health. When this is this is what you do, you're taking it away from somebody that this is what you do for a, not only for a living but for your enjoyment, and you can't do it anymore. For me, the only thing I could do is... Sing a song a day. Yeah. In the band. Can I can I just touch on that because I, I followed you on Facebook. Right. I I didn't I didn't start until Sorry to hear a, that. no a little bit later on and I'm going because uh, my 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 producer Brad Furlan says have you, have you caught this thing that John Gilmore does he does a different song every day I started watching you this guy has more shirts than than <laughs> every day it's a different shirt and it's a different background how many of those songs and videos did you do. Uh, 406. And you have 406 different shirts. Well, I borrowed a lot of shirts <laughs> from my neighbors and uh, from my children. And a different wall each time, Danny. It's like a different background. I'm, well, I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm looking at this guy. This is like... And that's part of the thing that kept me sane. Is not only did I sing and learn songs for the occasion, I ran out of originals yeah. and songs I'd ever known. Yeah. Did you so take I, requests? <clears throat> I had to learn. I, I, every so often, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, I, ha I made it a project every day, which included my wardrobe, background, place I was doing it. I did a couple in my car in the Stowe High School parking lot. I nice. was subbing at the high school. Nice. And I sang, you know, because I love a cappella anyway. I, I love singing a cappella. Yeah. So I was sitting in the car and did one or two. And um, so, and I've always been fashion conscious. I mean, ask anybody. I'm a fashion player. Right. Um, so. Right. <laughs> So, why are you laughing? By the way, he's got a tank top t shirt. You know, Danny and I dressed up. He's got a tank top t shirt on in here. Oh, it's Philly? Okay. Hey, we're going to break here in just a moment, uh, and we've got a couple of other musicians joining us. Uh, and, and after this, we're all going into the mezzanine studio. We're going to do a quick uh, jam session, whatever you guys choose to play. Quickly, John, any upcoming uh, performances that uh, you'd like to mention? I don't know. I did one today, I did a songwriting thing in Greensboro today with some kids in a camp. So I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow until I look at my calendar. All right. I'm so focused. How do, how do people on, book you if they want to book John Gilmore? Oh, well, they can call me. I'm in the phone book. I'm phone book. Great. <laughs> how old am I? <laughs> I have a flip phone and a tuning fork. So leave me alone. Um, so, no, johngailmore.com is my website. I made that up myself. All right. Um Danny, how about you? Any any gigs coming up? And and if people people want to book the Starline Rhythm Boys, how do they do that? Well, they go to the StarlineRhythmBoys.com, or they can call me. It's on the website. All right. StarlineRhythmBoys.com, but all the other gigs I'm playing are also posted on there. We got Andre McCara and Jesse Agan joining us in just a moment. You guys are going to go into the studio with them after the broadcast today. You trust us? In any your any idea what's going to happen in that? Not uh, thing. No idea at all. John, no. John yeah. brought his guitar into the studio too, but and you know how crowded it is in here. <laughs> if I told you what went on in that mezzanine studio, I don't know. We don't want to know. We want to stay on the air. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Andre McCara and Jesse Agan from Shake. The band, right here on Travels with Charlie. Thanks, guys. Hey. You know this. 
I'm going to give this one to Andre. He knows who this is. In fact, this sounds like something 8084 might have done at one time. Andre McCara, Jesse Agan, Travels with Charlie. We're getting the band back together. Guys, good to see you. Great to see you too, Charlie. <laughs> name, uh, name that tune. Oh, separate ways. Separate ways. Separate ways. Separate ways. That's it. Yeah, that, that works. The judge say it, say it. They say it's okay. They In the key of E minor. <laughs> Don't get technical. Don't get technical. Well, He's got an open drone Eastern in the beginning. Oh, Neil Sean this guy, plays. This guy, every time you post a picture of a guitar, it's like, well, it's got the P tone, it's got the this, it's got the pickups, and it's like, and then everybody starts jumping in and going, yeah, but does it ever? I love that. I love going through the Nobody song. gets it. I don't, I don't understand any of well, that. You know, those corks aren't going to sniff themselves. <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> well, well, Andre McCara, of course, uh, Andre with the, uh, Formerly with the band 8084. Yes. Now joining Shake the Band. Nice T-shirt, by the way. Yeah, I got my Shake. shake. Yes, yes. Jesse Agan joining us as well with Shake the Band. Uh, Great to have you both here today. We're going to be talking about, of course, uh, you know, how the last 15 months have treated you. You have a recording studio, Andre, so you were able to somewhat keep busy, correct? Well, you know, it's it's it was scary at first because, of course, you can't have you can't be around people. But the thing we found out quite quickly was that uh, musicians were all not gigging. They had plenty of time. And for the most part, not all musicians, but a lot of them got gig money. They got unemployment. So now they had time, financial resources, and, you know, the ability to write and and be available for recording. So it was actually – it was one of our busiest periods. Sure. Again, initially we were were scared like everybody else. You're in another room behind plexiglass. Um, Yeah. And somebody can come in individually, record one track, and then bring in the drummer, bring in the the bass player, correct? We were very, you know, very, very cognizant of all the – you know, following all the protocols, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. Just again, all of a sudden, there was a sudden influx of of work. In fact, we we turned down we turned down <laughs> government aid because we, you know, I get, get these calls now. No, would you want to apply for this? No, I said we're good. We're actually we're busy. Well, that is good news. Give the money to somebody else in easy. We're we're good. And, and Jesse, let's talk about you. And maybe you know both of you can sort of you know back me up on this theory. I have a theory that there's really only 20 musicians uh, in in Vermont. They're all in Shake the Band now. They're all in this, and they're all, they're all, it's like wherever you look, it's like, you know, Andre's over here, he's playing with Jesse, and then, and then he's with Carol Ann Jones and the Superchargers, and then you look up, and you guys all kind of, it's a large community in Vermont, is it not, well, Jesse? it's just a big conspiracy, right? actually. No, no, it is, it is a big family. It's been great to, you know, network through the past years. I mean, the first variation of Shake, I mean, you know, conveniently enough, we were able to end things, you know, at, at good terms in 2019 at the very end. Yeah. And I started doing a lot of solo stuff, um, which, you know, allowed me to meet a lot of people um, doing doing the same thing I was doing, a lot of solo stuff. And that's what the new band is right now, essentially, just a group of solo musicians coming together and putting on a great show. Are you doing a lot of original music, some oh, covers, yeah. Oh, yeah. mostly doing, original? We're yeah. doing about 50-50 right now. Yeah. I think we might is Andre actually... helping out with any writing at all? So I, I have done most of the writing yeah. so far up to this point. I mean, we're in the studio right now. We're recording a few tracks, uh, looking to put out an EP by the end of this year. How did the two of you get together? How'd well, that happen? back in 2017, uh, oh, we, parents. yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Way back in 1997. No, in 2017, <laughs> we went and first recorded our uh, demo tracks for the, in the first variation of Shake. And then ever since then, you know, I've kind of taken, uh, Andre as a mentor to me. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's got a wealth of knowledge. Andre, what did you see in Jesse? Because I remember when I first met Jesse as well, and I said, man, this guy's going places. 
Well, yeah, he he really has all the all the basic ingredients of, of succeeding in his business. He's got first of all natural ability. He's got a, he's got a great voice. He can play guitar really well. He plays, plays a lot of instruments really well. He, uh, he also he has that that sort of a uh, hidden openness about him. He was you know he had a positive attitude. I mean, attitude is such an important thing in his business too. And because I work with a lot of tremendously talented people that. Yeah, you wouldn't want to necessarily work with. Yeah. Other than you know, again, making music. But you now Jesse, Jesse had all the all the uh, you know, he's a five tool player as we say in 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 the ball game. Yeah. He had all yeah, getting all the basic ingredients it, it takes to succeed, and an open and willingness to to want to do it. I mean, the work ethic is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And so you guys, you've been shut down for fifteen months, and you know, my understanding, I follow you on on Facebook, and it's like. Shake the band. In fact, Jesse, I think you just posted you had like five gigs in a week or something, right? Yeah, I had you a keep lot them super of busy. Uh, and that was that was a, a really a blessing through all of this. I mean, you know, a lot of musicians couldn't play music. I was through the whole pandemic from day one. I was given at least a weekly gig and opportunities to start putting the new shake together. And yeah. I mean, I just took advantage with it. And I feel you know, blessed. We, we got to talk. This is radio, but we got to touch on the outfits. He, he he sort of toned it down a little bit for the studio here. Thank goodness he's got lime green pants and a Hawaiian shirt on. Yeah, that's an image. <laughs> but, man, if you've seen any of the stuff that he posts on Facebook, uh, what are these suits that you're wearing? It looks like he's wearing a. Is it a romper? Is it's that a, what it is? It's a romper. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Andre, you can't say much because you come back from the days when you guys were wearing spandex and that hair up to here. So, yeah, well, and the chicks dug it. I don't know if the chicks dig the rompers. But, well, you know, that's that's the whole thing. There, there, there was certain, a protocol to be observed in the in the eighties and everything. Yeah, you know, we, yeah. I'm well, proud level, to be a member of that. Uh, it was that a era. level of expectation. It, it was great, and I'm glad what you guys are doing together. I love the music that you're doing. If people want to find out more about Shake the Band, they want to book the band, or if they want to do a recording session with you, Andre, at West uh, Street Digital. Yes, www.weststreetdigital.com. And how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, well, you can find us on Facebook at Shake the Band Vermont. Uh, Instagram. Is that VT? VT. That's ah. VT. And All right. we also have a new website, www.shaketheband.com. All right, cool stuff. You're going into the recording studio. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll have it on our podcast at wdevradio.com. Quick mention uh, that uh, we will be back with you on August 9th with Chris Barbieri on the Stowe Classic Car Show and Chefs Joseph and Scott from Chef's Corner in Williston, along with Sean Bartlett from Jolly Convenience Stores. Thanks again to all of my guests today on Travels with Charlie. We'll be back again, as I mentioned, on August 9th. Travels with Charlie, sponsored by Casella Waste, Jolly Convenience Stores, Milne, American Express Travel, with support from True North Radio. Theme song written and produced by Billy Bratcher. My executive producer is Brad Furlan. Director Steve Cormier. I'm Charlie Papillo. I'll see you in my travels. Have a great day. Thanks. Yeah. Sitting in a diner for hours.